Here we go. Paul's intro, grace and peace to you. Last week, we landed on the peace side of things. This week, we land on the grace side of things. And here's what we're doing in this little mini season. We're walking through Paul's introduction in every single one of his letters. He says, I want grace and peace to you, whether it's to you as a Christian, whether it's to your household, whether it's to your family, whether it is to your church. He's saying grace and peace to you over and over and over. But before we dive into uh, grace and peace, I want you to see where Paul's coming from. Give you a little context on the man that was was Paul. Acts 9 verses 1 through 2. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul became Paul. He was breathing out murderous threats against the church. Listen to what he was doing. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he could, so if he could found any, let me try that again, so that if he found any there, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Do you, did you catch what he's doing? He's going to the synagogue as a Jewish man, and he's saying, give me the records of the people. And if any of the people on their records went to that section where it says religion, and they checked the way, or Christian, or Jesus follower, he's saying, okay, uh, give me their record. I want that person, that person, that person. And he's waiting for them in Jerusalem to arrest them and throw them into prison. It's nuts, right? Imagine that, someone at the DMV waiting to get your paperwork, and if you indicate you're a Christian, they're like, okay, that person, when they walk outside and they get to their car, arrest them and throw them in prison. That's what Paul was doing right now. Galatians 1.13 says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. Listen to how he describes himself. How intensely, that word can also be translated violently, saying how violently I persecuted the church of God and tried to to destroy it. This is a man who now champions peace in every single one of his letters, who started off literally locking Christians in prison, finding them and persecuting them, describing himself as a man who intensely, violently persecuted the church of God, now preaching peace to everybody. What does that tell us with practical application? That tells me that the angry, frustrated, intense, always upset, boiling, ready to explode you can become a peaceful person. That's what it tells me. You may be rough and you may be tough, but you ain't walking the streets locking Christians up. And yet, what does he become? The biggest proponent of peace in the New Testament. That means you. That means me. We can live in peace. Where are my Enneagram A jerks at? Welcome to the club. We can be at peace too. Like we can chill out. (laughs) Maybe I should say that a different way. We can chill out. (laughs) We can be at peace. Peace, one of the things that drives me nuts, you just, just check the red flag at the door of this one, is, is this phrase right here, and I hear it all too often, well, that's just the way I am. Well, that's just the way I, I've been that way for 30 years. Great. That may be the way you are, but Jesus can change you. 
That may be the way you've been for 30 years, but the God of grace and peace can change you. He can transform you and turn you into a person of peace. All right, let's run through them all. We did this last week, and I think contextually, if you were here last week, just repetition is the the mother of skill. That's how you're going to learn. If not, we're going to run through every single introduction with Paul, and I'm going to give you a sentence of context so you can see what he is declaring peace into, okay? Uh, Let's start with the book of Romans. Nero had just taken over as emperor of Rome, and he is about to institute mass persecution, on Christians, tying them to stakes. Literally, the lampposts during Nero's reign were Christians that were tied to posts. Tar was poured on them, and they were lit on fire. You would walk down at night the entry to Rome and see burning Christians. And listen to what Paul says, Romans 1-7. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called by his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you You're there, grace and peace. Maybe you're facing persecution. Maybe you're facing injustice. Maybe you are facing incredible challenges right now from people who don't follow Jesus. What can you have in that situation? Grace and peace. How about to the Corinthians who had no unity? just completely divided as a church, broken apart. Some follow Apollo, some follow Paul, some follow Jesus. They were just completely divided. 1 Corinthians 1.3 and 2 Corinthians 1.2, exact same greeting in both letters. He says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you... Come on, you're better than that. Grace and peace. How about the Galatians? They had Christians trying to to merge Judaism and Christianity. They were mixing faith, creating confusion, total confused disaster. And he says, may God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you. Maybe you're in a place of confusion. Maybe you're like the Corinthians and you're living in division. Maybe your house is divided. Maybe you and your spouse are divided. Maybe you and your children are divided. Maybe you and your family that you have to see in two weeks at Thanksgiving or a month from now at Christmas, maybe you're divided. Uh, Maybe you have a big event coming up and you're divided. Maybe there's a wedding coming up and people are coming together who haven't come together in a really long time and you're divided. Maybe somebody passed away in your family and now different sides of the family are coming from parts and, and, and viewpoints and everything else that are divided. What can you have in the middle of that? Grace and peace. Let's go to the Ephesians. They knew God but had no idea who they were. They knew God, but they had no idea what their identity was. They had no idea who they were. In Ephesians 1, 2, Paul says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, come on, give you grace and peace. This is a great one. While in prison, Paul is locked up in prison. Paul writes about joy and calls the Philippians to peace. Listen to this. Philippians 1, 2. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you... Come on, you can't say it enough. You can't say it enough. What do we want for every home? What do we want for your life? What do we want for your children? What do we want for your children's children? 
grace and peace. Lord, give them your grace, your grace that is a gift, your grace that saves, and your grace that empowers. And Lord, give them your peace, your shalom, your completeness and wholeness with you. That's what we want. Let's keep rolling. The Colossian church, a church, they were just plagued with issues. And I love the book because it's about the supremacy of Christ, but they were plagued with issues. I'm talking about a total disaster. And Colossians 1-2 says, We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters of Christ. May God our Father give you... Maybe you just got issues. Maybe you got issues. Maybe you got temptations that you're battling constantly. Maybe you got an addiction that you're, you, can, you can hit 24 hours of sobriety and then you fall into an absolute desperation. What can God give you in those situations? Grace and peace. How about to the Thessalonians? Their church, they were just facing persecution and hardships. They were being slaughtered. Christians were being persecuted. And Paul writes to 1 Thessalonians 1.1. He says, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your hardships, in the midst of intensely difficult life. He says, may God give you 2 Thessalonians 1-2, they were struggling with false doctrine. They just had a bunch of false teachers in the church. Paul lines them out, and he says, May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you... How about to a young pastor, Timothy? He's encouraging a young pastor who's stepping in way over his skis, leading people who don't respect him, leading people who don't want to hear from him, leading big churches. And Paul comes to him, 1 Timothy 1-2, and he says, I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace. Ooh, some of you are actually reading it. Way to go. He adds mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. He does the same thing in 2 Timothy. How about to Titus? Titus was a missionary that Paul sent to a church in Crete that was confused. They didn't know what was going on. They were theologically confused. They were spiritually and ethically confused. They had all kinds of sexual deviance going on. And Paul sends Titus there and he says, I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you Amen. Philemon, the Lord's trying to restore Onesimus. Paul's trying to restore Onesimus to fellowship with Philemon. Onesimus served in his household, robbed him, took off, left him, found Paul, got in trouble, met Paul in prison. They're sitting in the same prison cell, and Onesimus gets radically saved. He starts following Paul, becomes Paul's disciple. Paul turns, turns around and writes a letter to Philemon, and he says, hey, restore this man to fellowship. Forgive him. I know you're mad at him. Restore him. I know he was broken when he's with you, but he's not that anymore. And listen to how he starts out the letter, Philemon 1.3. He says, may God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you... Maybe you're struggling with forgiving somebody. Maybe somebody wronged you, and I mean all out wronged you. Maybe somebody hurt you deeply. What can God give you in the midst of that situation? Grace and peace. In every letter, Paul is declaring 
grace and peace. Let's take it one step deeper with peace, okay? So Paul is living in Rome. He's a Roman citizen, and he's under the Roman Empire, which at the time was declaring Pax Romana. If you know what, if you read the history books and you know what Pax Romana is, it, it literally means Roman peace or peace of Rome. And here's what Rome was saying. They were saying Roman ruled places will have the greatest level of peace. Pax Romana, you want us in charge, you want us leading, because if we're leading, you will have peace. So Paul, as a Roman citizen under the Roman Empire, is writing out, and he's saying, not only is there a different peace, but there's a greater peace for you, and that's the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a shalom peace from God that will give you completeness and wholeness. You know what Paul is saying then that we could use application for now? He's saying your political party's peace is not the greatest peace. Pax Romana is not the greatest peace. He's saying there is a greater peace, a deeper peace that will bring you a peace that cannot challenge your circumstance. Rabbi Robert Kahn, he's in Houston, Texas. He shares the differences in Roman peace and Hebrew shalom. I'll read them to you. He says, one can dictate a peace. Shalom is a mutual agreement. Peace is a temporary pact. Shalom is a permanent agreement. One can make a peace treaty Shalom is the condition of peace. Peace can be negative, the absence of commotion. Shalom is positive, the presence of serenity. Peace can be partial. Shalom is whole. Peace can be piecemeal. Shalom is complete. There's two words that translate shalom. In Hebrew, it's shalom. In, in Greek, it's irene. They both mean complete. They mean complete and whole before God or in God, okay? So it's also used to describe a covenant that is fulfilled. It's used to describe walls that were broken down and rebuilt. It's used to describe offerings that complete a process of covenant with God. Anytime something was brought to completeness and wholeness with God, the word shalom is used. Now catch this. I know we're, we're building a theology of peace right now, a foundation that we can stand on, and then we're going to make application. God's desire for his children was to redeem Israel, which was his nation. It was to redeem Israel so that they would live in covenant love with him. They would become a holy nation and worship him so that they could experience his shalom. That was his goal for them. He wanted them to experience the completeness and the wholeness of God. And what did they do every time? Come on, we just walked through all of this with burnt stones. We've done it before with out of Egypt. We've done it before with welcome to Babylon. Boy, we've done some Jewish history around here. What do we know about the nation of Israel and the covenant that they had with God? They break it every single time. He comes to peace with them, they break it. He comes to peace with them, they rebel. He comes to peace with them, they break it. So what does God have to do to restore peace to his people? Hang with me two more minutes. I promise you we're going somewhere. What does God do to restore peace? I'll give you a prophecy of it in Isaiah 9, 6. 
This is a cute Christmas card verse, by the way. For all of you, you got your Christmas card pictures coming up. You can send them out to everybody. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. So we get the prophecy of it. Now Jesus comes, and as Jesus comes, he is the peace that was broken, right? So John 16, says, I have told you these things, this is Jesus, so that in me you may have shalom. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let, let's just pause right here for a minute. We've got a little bit of time. He says, I've told you these things. What are the things that he told them? Go back to John 16, verse 1. Read through up to verse 33. He says, you're going to experience mourning. You're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience my death. They're going to take me, and they're going to kill me. He literally is telling them, it's going to get bad. It's going to be tough. You are going to face challenges. Yet he says, I have told you these things. I want you to know you're going to face difficulty so that in me you may have Shalom, you may have completeness, you may have wholeness, you may have all that is satisfying within you. And then he says, in this world you will have trouble. What, what are we surprised about? Like how on earth are we surprised by facing trouble in the world? How on earth can we turn on the news and every single week see trouble in the world and be like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Jesus told us long ago. You're going to face trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. John 14, 27, he says, Shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives you. Do you recognize this? That there's nothing in the world that can give you a peace that's going to complete you. Nothing. That includes marriage. That includes children. That includes money. That includes all of those things. There is nothing in the world that's going to give you complete and total peace. I do not give to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Okay, let's build where we're at. Let's understand this, okay? We start out in the garden with Adam and Eve, okay? And Adam broke shalom that was here on earth. Prior to the fall, it was complete shalom, it was peace, it was wholeness, it was completeness with God. Adam breaks that, God tries to restore it over and over and over and over. They screw it up every single time. So he gives us Jesus to restore peace with God so that we can experience completeness and wholeness with God. So we have Jesus, but now there's something missing because Jesus is saying, you have now spiritual shalom, but in this world it's going to be challenging. In this world, you're going to face difficulties. So now we've gone from shalom on earth and shalom with God to it broken to now we have shalom spiritually. But what about something earthly? This is what Messianic Jews call Shabbat Shalom. They call it the Sabbath peace of God. And they believe, and I believe they're exactly dead on, that the next time we experience shalom on earth, complete Wholeness with God on earth is at the second coming of Jesus. Revelation 21, 4 through 7. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these are the words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God. Recognize the reconnection of covenant. I will be their God. And they will be my children. Let me just give permission for a second. Sometimes I think I miss the value of just giving permission. If you're living right now, and you're saying to yourself, man, I have peace in my soul. I know Jesus has saved me. I know God is good. But in my life right now, it feels chaotic. In my life right now, it feels difficult. And for some reason, you have allowed some bad theological perspective to convince you that something's wrong with you because your life isn't complete and total shalom on earth. Nothing's wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you. In fact, you're right in the space that you're supposed to be. What did Jesus say? Shalom, I will give you. In this world, you're going to have troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. My peace I give you, not as the world gives you. It's not here, but it's right here. It's not out there, but it's right here. So the tension that you feel is okay. I'll tell you the people that scare me to death. It's the ones who are, you know, perfect shalom, peace on earth. Hadn't had a bad day in 45 years. I haven't had a bad day in, in my whole life. Everything's great. How are you? Blessed and highly favored, right? Every single time. Our cattle are dead. Our house is falling apart. And I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm like, hmm, I don't know about that. Or on the other end of it, right? I'm, I'm not at peace at all. Every day is miserable. I have no peace. But Jesus is, is showing and posturing. And if you go from the garden to right now, here's what you see. Peace right here. Shalom right here. What is Jesus restored? Shalom of my soul. That I can have everything going crazy around me, but I can be complete and fully satisfied right here. When does it get here? When he comes back. When he takes over again. When we're raptured and he brings us back and it all happens again. I'll tell you, um, I went through a time recently in my home where I just became obsessed with peace. I think it's because we have a newborn. And I, I don't know what the numbers are, but there is a mathematical equation to this. When you have more than three kids, you never sleep through the night. Like, it's just, you can just bet on it, right? When the baby sleeps, one of the older ones are up. When one of the older ones are asleep, the baby wakes. It is just, I can guarantee you, I don't know what the statistics are, but they work out in our house. If you've got more than three kids, you're not sleeping through the night. I don't, I don't care what's going on or what's happening. So my house is just crazy. My, we've been up like every single night of the week. And I just went on this rampage of like, my house is going to be a home of peace. And anyone who tries to disrupt that peace will be viciously eliminated. I will be the Apostle Paul and the peace czar of my house. Don't come in here disrupting my peace. I'd come home. Anna would have a baby who's crying in her arms. Kids who've colored on the walls and the house is a mess. And she's like, help me. I need your help. And I said, don't disrupt the peace of my home. 
No, 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 not in here. This place will be perfect shalom and complete serenity. My son, Canaan, I literally threw him out of the house one morning, made him stand on the porch. I was like, not in my house. You will not disrupt the peace. Go outside right now. He's like, no! I was like, exactly. Come on, right now. Stand on the porch right now. And I closed the door and I said, you can knock and you can come back in when you're ready to be at peace. I went crazy. I just, I literally went crazy for peace. I threatened to throw him out of my car. I was driving back and he's yelling at me from the back because he didn't have enough ketchup packets for his Chick-fil-A fries or whatever. And I was like, listen, if you scream at me one more time, you'll get out of this truck because no one will disrupt the peace of my truck. It's not even my house anymore. It's the peace of my truck. He screams at me again. I put my hazards on and I pulled over. I was like, get out right now. He's like, dad, you wouldn't. Watch me. Peace is all that I want. And I wasn't getting it. And I was going crazy. So I went to counseling. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I swear to you, I did. And I was talking to a counselor. Look, if you, if you think, man, pastor goes to a counselor, I, I don't like him, he's not fit, you should meet me before counseling. <laughs> I'm a, if you think I'm bad at, with counseling, I'm a real mess without it, right? So I sit down with the counselor, and I'm, I'm talking to him, and I'm, I'm like, man, listen, I want peace and peace in my home. That's all that I care about. It's all that I want. And in the middle of describing the peace that I wanted, man, the Lord's going to choke me up here about it. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, is that the peace that I offer or is that an idol that you're chasing? Is that really my peace? The peace that I give you? Complete and perfect total serenity in every area and moment of your life? That no kids scream and yell? That no wife is upset? That no difficulties in the car? Is that, is that really the peace that I give or has that become an idol of your heart. You know what happens when we chase God for something he doesn't supply? You know what happens when we, when we chase God for something that he doesn't give? Complete and total dissatisfaction. And that's where I was. Complete and total dissatisfaction. When you are chasing and petitioning and forcing something from God that he does not give, what do you get? Total dissatisfaction. Tot the chaos was multiplying. I am the peace czar of my home, and I'm blowing the place up every five minutes. I'm yelling at them that are yelling at me about peace. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? And God spoke to me. What is he speaking to you right now about peace? So here's what I want to show you. we got ten minutes left. I want to show you three areas of peace that you control. Three areas of peace that you actually control. Because I'm telling you right now, you cannot control the peace of the earth. All the beauty pageant girls are liars. You cannot control peace on earth. Ask anyone who's faced a difficult situation out of their control. You cannot control it. Here are three things that you can control when it comes to peace. Listen to me. If you're sitting there thinking the same thing, my gosh, I've been the peace czar for years. All I want is peace and all I need is this. I'm speaking directly to you. And I don't preach at you. I preach with you. I'm preaching this to myself as well. Number one, the area of peace that we can control, interpreted by the Apostle Paul, is peace with God. It's the number one area that you can control. You can have peace, a peace that changes you, and that peace starts with a peace with God. Romans 5.1, listen to what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have 
peace, music to my ears. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15.3 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and shalom as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.20 And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood, Shed on the cross. The number one area that you can control your peace is peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I bought a tool from one of my neighbors. It's a, uh, it's a rigid oscillating multi-tool. You, anyone familiar with the multi-tool? You, anyone? It's a 20-volt, 18-volt multi-tool. Come on. Who, who knows what a multi-tool is? Who knows? Hey, all you boys, look around at the men in the room, right? Look at, look at, they're waving their hands at you now. They're waving their hands. These multi-tools are incredible, right? And, I, and they're, they're incredible until they don't work, right? My neighbor sold me one, and I was like, man, this is great. It worked for a day, then it quit working. So I took it to one of those authorized uh, dealers to get it fixed. And when I got there and I gave it to him, he asked me, he said, are you the original purchaser of the tool? And I said, no, I bought it from my neighbor. And he said, man, I'm sorry. He said, we can only honor the warranty with the authorized purchaser, with the, with the person who actually purchased the tool. So I called my neighbor. And I said, hey, man, you remember that broken tool you, you sold me? And he's like, no, I swear, it wasn't broken when I sold it to you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, great, come to this shop right now. And he came in, and the guy looked at him, and he said, are you the, are you the first purchaser, the one who purchased this tool? And he said, yes, I sure am. And he punched in the serial number, and he said, what's your name? And he punched in his name, and he said, okay, got it right here. And he hands him a brand-new multi-tool. And my neighbor looked at me like this. Like, mm. I was like, no, dude. Like, you sold it to me. And he handed it to me. But I couldn't get what he had without having the authorized purchaser, the first one who made the purchase, there present with me. You can have peace, but there is no way around peace unless you go through Jesus. You can have the peace that God gives, the complete and total serenity, complete wholeness with God. You can have it, but you can't get around it anyway, but straight through the original purchaser of it, which was Jesus. Jesus is the one who purchases that peace. If you're saying, I need more peace in my life right now, the number one place to start is Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us peace, and he gives us peace with God. Number two. Oh, this is a tough one. Buckle up. The second thing that you can control when it comes to peace is peace with others, right? Peace with others. Let me read you what Paul says. Romans 12, verse 8. Now, that doesn't mean you will experience peace with others, but you can control your peace with others. Listen, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, now listen to what he says. As far as it depends on you. It doesn't, he's not talking about somebody else, right? He's not talking about forcing somebody into peace with you, but he is saying when possible, not if, but he's saying when, in possibility. If you read it and read another translation, it's going to say in possibility. When it is possible, meaning when they are living, breathing, and alive, 
As far as it depends on you, this is about you. This isn't about them. This isn't about what they've done. This isn't about what they've said. This isn't about how they've hurt you. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, we should not be the ones ducking into different aisles at Target because we want to avoid somebody. We should not be the ones who are talking bad about other people. We should not be the ones who are harboring bitterness and anger. We should not be the ones that come in a certain door here and leave a certain door here because the people that sit over here every week, you don't like them and you knew them and you dated one of them once and you're mad at them and you're frustrated with them. And we, as far as it depends on we, the body of Christ, we should do everything we can to live at peace. Maybe the chaos that you have in your life right now and the battle you're fighting for your own peace is bitterness and unforgiveness that you have in your soul towards somebody else. Because Paul is saying we, we should live at peace. You're not going to find peace holding somebody accountable for something they did five years ago to you. You're not going to find it there. You're going to find it in releasing that. You're going to find it in forgiving that. And you're going to find it in just striving for peace. Hebrews 12.4, he says again, make every effort to live in peace. Every effort. Everything you can do to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit Man, our spirit, there is unity in our spirit through the bond of peace. I, I've been to South Africa a number of times. I love South Africa. I've been to Joburg, Durban, and Cape Town, did missions work, and, and preached all over Johannesburg. Some of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. And I can't talk about peace without talking about this story. Uh, I went to the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg, South Africa. And there, you, you go into this place and you learn about apartheid, segregation. They divided people, black, white, colored, Indian, were, were kind of the, the segregations that they made. And then they distributed wealth accordingly. And so you, you're there, and as you're there, there was this place, and I, I, can, I can see it in my mind, I'll tell you what I see, is these giant boulders, right? And then there's this screen in the background, and you see these men walking back and forth, and they're moving these boulders back and forth, and then all of a sudden the screen changes, and Nelson Mandela stands up, and it looks like he's standing on the rock. And for 27 years, Nelson Mandela was a freedom fighter against apartheid. He was arrested, and he was put in prison, and here was his daily. They made them move rocks back and forth inside of these prisons because they thought to themselves, if we don't keep them busy, they'll revolt. They'll rebel against us. So they would say, all of these rocks need to move from here to over here. So they would move them. And then 12 hours later, they would say, okay, now you need to move all those rocks from there to here. And in the midst of it, they'd give them 10 to 15 minute breaks, and Mandela would stand up on a pile of rocks and he would say guys one day we'll be free one day we'll have opportunity one day the wrongs will be made right and one day we'll experience peace well apartheid ends and when apartheid ends black and colored people are allowed to vote for the very first time in an election for president and guess who they elect president nelson mandela so nelson mandela becomes president of south africa 
And this grassroots movement rose up within the black and colored community. And they rose up to Mandela and they came to him and they said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take back what was taken from us. They said, we're going to take back our land. We're going to take back our property. We have you as our president now and we can do it. Let's take it back. And as he was pushing to take it back, Mandela looked at them and he said, it's one of his famous speeches. You can Google it and watch it. He said, brothers, why would we start another fight when we finally have peace? Because Mandela knew something it's the same thing the Apostle Paul is saying. The greatest level of unity that we will experience is through peace. Peace with other people. Peace with brothers and sisters in Christ. Life's too short and hell's too hot for all of us to be mad at each other. But the unity of peace will bring us together. And what is my responsibility in that? To try and be at peace with everybody. To try and live at peace with all people. So number one, peace with God. Number two, peace with others. And number three, peace within myself. Third space, peace within myself. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is guarding me? It's the peace. A peace. Why does that peace transcend all understanding? Because it's shalom. It's complete and wholeness with God. Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and shalom. Second, or 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of shalom himself give you shalom at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Listen, peace doesn't come when you have control over your life. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Peace does not come when you have control over your life. Peace comes when you're willing to give up control of your life. Peace comes when you're willing to release control, when you're willing to quit trying to control everything and just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. When you no longer need control, you can live in the shalom of God. You can live in complete and wholeness of your soul. How about a, a preacher story to end us? Huh? You up for a preacher story? I got to throw a bone to the seniors every now and then, right? Seniors love my preacher stories. I'm kidding. My goodness. I love senior citizens. I love them more than high school seniors. Like, I get along with you. We connect. We're on the same wavelength. Don't be mad. You ready? Preacher story. In a land far away, long, long ago, there was a ship that was sailing from one city to another city. And it was a three-day trip, and all of these people had gathered onto the ship, and the ship had taken off out of port. And in the middle of the sea, a day and a half in, in the middle of the night, this huge storm rises up. And this storm is bouncing the ship back and forth. And there's this, there's this little girl who is on the ship, and she's been on the ship the whole time. She's eating dinners by herself. She's playing games by herself. And they had seen her the whole trip. And then they were all gathered into the dinner hall in the middle of the ship, and this little girl 
was just sitting there completely at peace. Everything was great. And everyone else on the ship was freaking out. They were scared. They thought it was going to sink. And there she was just playing her games and having a fun time. And one lady said, you know, finally, I'm going to go ask her what's going on with her. And so she said she went up to the little girl and said, little girl, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm great. And she said, little girl, we're in the middle of a massive storm. How can you have so much peace when there's this huge storm and the ship's about to sink? And the little girl said, my dad is the captain, and he's been here many times before. Can you say aw to that preacher's aw? Isn't that a cute story? Hey, listen, peace is not about you controlling the ship. Peace is about the captain of your ship. Peace is about saying, Lord... You are in control. I'm not in control. I will have peace with you through Jesus. I will strive to have peace with everybody else. And in my soul, I will have peace. Though I may experience troubles, I have a peace in you that troubles can't take away.